0: Jim, your book. I'm Matt and I'm Jim. We're here to take you on a journey through the years as we explore the music in our lifetime and the impact it's had on us and the world we've lived in. Welcome to version 1994 or as I'm going to call it
1: this week. Matt, super-duper name-checking extravagance.
0: Hey, that's a misrepresentation. Come on now. <laughs> 1994 is undeniably a big year, but I think it was you sweating out picking five songs this week. I made you wait. Oh, I need more than five. <laughs> yeah, I know. I made you wait a few days before approving a request, so uh, so there was some sweat bullets coming down. There are some classic albums we'll be getting to, but we'll do so after the reaping. All right, start us off. I will. In 1968, when the Beatles were asked who their favorite American band was, the response was Nilsson. Harry Nilsson may be one of those artists that people recognize the name, but songs don't always roll off the tongue. We've each added a song of his to the playlist, Coconut and Gotta Get Up, and a third song, Me and My Arrow, was called in one of our cleanups. His biggest hit, the Badfinger song, Without You, was surprisingly absent from the playlist. I've gained a new appreciation. I've gained a new appreciation from his work as I've gotten older. He was born with a congenital heart defect and died of heart failure at the age of 52. Yeah, he was amazing.
1: And then someone else who was amazing and it was very tragic for our generation was Kurt Cobain. Every generation has a, I remember I was there when I heard this news moment. I'm sure he was that for a lot of people, the older you get, the more they happen. But for our generation, especially for fans of grunge music, The first might have been his death, you know, the death of Kurt Cobain. I think it was most affecting because Cobain represented victory for the normal kid you went to school with. He raised alternative rock music above the glam and hair metal and the shallow beauty of pop stars. He united the outsiders and all at once, it was like a flame went out. I remember coming home from work that day and three friends were sitting around the couch watching MTV news. They told me what had happened I didn't sit down. I didn't join them. I went into my room and I sat on the edge of my bed and I played guitar because I thought that's what he would.
0: Yeah. Be. This one was a gut punch. Cause it was, un- it was extremely unexpected and out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then someone that I'm going to bring up who is not a celebrity, but he was in Bennington in 1994 where I lived. And I asked you earlier if I could just give a shout out that's to Jim Woodard. He was a DJ music extraordinaire in Bennington, Vermont. He was the guy who worked at the local record store when we were growing up playing in bands. And you would go down and he would tell you stories about going to Woodstock, meeting Jim Morrison, meeting David Bowie, hanging out with the guys from Roxy Music. And we're doing 1994. I lived in Bennington in 1994 and spent a lot of time with him and he died this past week. So I'm going to include Jim, Jimmy, Jim Woodard, woody as some would call
0: him in this week's memoriam yeah let's have a drink to jim yes so amid all of the great music van big music going on in 1994 uh you brought up woodstock so woodstock 94 seems like a good place to start you mean mudstock yeah it's kind of like the original right
1: yeah it, it was one of those things that i didn't think i wanted to go to when it happened but i was actually sorry i missed it after the fact there were a few crazy moments, but it did look like it was a lot of fun. In my memory now, it gets hugely overshadowed by the disaster that was Woodstock 99. Yeah,
0: new Woodstock 99. Yeah, what a, <laughs> yeah. What a mess that was.
1: Uh, it was terrible. But when we watched Woodstock 94 on TV, I, we saw the mud-throwing war that erupted with Green Day Everyone looked like it was good fun and there didn't seem to be a lot of pretentiousness. People weren't as angry as they were
0: in 1999. This was closer to the original Woodstock. Yeah. I remember uh, Mike Durnt from green day. He lost a tooth when he got tackled by a security guard. They mistook him for a fan rushing the stage. That was, that was kind (laughs) of, weird. and then wasn't nine inch nails wrestling in the mud with fans before their set. (laughs) And then they performed all just caked and dried mud. Uh, The crowd Mm -hmm. may have been too high from Cypress Hill to cause too much of a commotion. (laughs) It definitely looked like a better time than 99, that's for sure. People coming into their own music space in 1994 were very lucky.
1: Oh, hell yeah, they were. Just like most years in the early to mid-90s here, this was another year for classic alternative radio. We've talked about how in the 1970s there were a lot of styles and genres at the top at one point or another, I think once we got to the 90s, it all just kind of lumped under the heading of alternative, but the radio was full of different styles of pop and
0: rock music. Yeah, and at its best, that's what alternative is. It's that dumping grounds. Mm-hmm. It's everything that doesn't fit into a cookie cutter mold, right? So now I there's very few alternative stations that give you that grab bag. Now it's like yeah. alt rock. It's like, well, I don't want all rock. Yeah. Maybe I want a little sprinkling of alt rock, but I also want some weirdness and, you know, obscure stuff thrown in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that we got to the end of the
1: 1980s and there was a pop formula that's never gone away since. And anything outside that formula has just been kind of like indie alternative. Yeah. You know, it's gotten that kind of label attached. Yeah, to we got
0: to endlessly categorize and put stuff in a box. Which yeah, yeah, it sucks. I mean, w- when we grow up uh, listen on the radio, you hear country, pop, rock, whatever, all on the same station, and I kind I kind of miss that. Yeah, that was better. Yep. But Jim, you brought us to 1994. We got a lot to talk about. We've given ourselves. <laughs> yes, there was a hint at the beginning of the show. We've given ourselves ten songs again this week. Yeah, <laughs> you can thank Jim for that. <laughs> and like before, we'll just sprinkle them through the show, so it's not just a big. Oops, sorry, I got a dog at my leg here. <laughs> we'll sprinkle them through the show so there's just not a big slog of them at the end. So uh, let's see, Ninety ninety four, your show. Uh, let's let you start us off. Where are you, you going to take us for your first song?
1: All right, so 1994 has a few songs I've known since we started the show we're going to wind up on my playlist. And I'm going to start off with a few Brit pop tunes because it was a big deal in 1994. And group them together at the start. So that'll be the first few that I'm going to bring up. The first one is going to be the song, Do You Remember the First Time, by the band Pulp. Our UK correspondent, John, brought Pulp to the 1995 episode with the song, Common People. But Do You Remember the First Time is my favorite song of theirs. I don't know what it is. There's something about a song that gives it swagger when somebody's jilted but still feeling the sting you know, acting on the outside that it didn't bother them. But on the inside, you can probably tell it really does, the emotion and the voice. It's built on a great hook in the chorus that attaches a catchy little guitar line. A lot of people think Oasis had all the swagger in Britpop, but Pulp could do it without being pretentious.
0: All right. Uh, Yeah, it's 1994. We can't help but talk about Britpop. It was one of the bigger uh, subgenres out there and I'll keep the ball rolling in that direction. A band that was considered as the rival to Oasis was Blur. What I appreciate most about Blur's album Park Life and what separates them from Oasis for me was the different music directions the songs would go in within an album. It's not all the same sameness throughout the whole thing. I'm going to add Girls and Boys. It's not a song with swagger, but plenty of energy. That trance-inducing synth and one of the coolest bass lines. It's a little earworm for me.
1: Well, since you're going to bring up Oasis and I brought up pretentiousness, why don't I just put them together and I'll bring one of their songs (laughs) next? That song is Married With Children. This song is exactly the opposite, though, of the huge sound on their big debut album, Definitely Maybe. Oasis, they have a great story. They are that dream of a band that goes and plays in a club and a guy from a label comes and watches them and signs them and a year later, they're one of the biggest rock and roll bands in the world. So another band had the gig booked and they only had enough music for half the show. So they asked their buddies, Oasis, do you want to come up and play the other half of the show? Oasis were like, yeah, sure. They came up to Glasgow. They played King Tut's Wawa Hut. And there happened to be a guy in the audience that could sign them to a label. And that's how it happened. It's amazing. It and then they became all the luck. Friends. All the luck. <laughs> oh, they had all the luck. But this song that I'm going to put on the playlist is Married With Children. It's almost like they decided to stick a demo on at the last minute. It's just a clean tone, electric guitar and a vocal. They overdub a lead solo, but that's it. The other songs, Live Forever and Supersonic, made them superstars, without a doubt. But this is my favorite song on the album. I love it because I can pick up an acoustic and play it and not sound too unlike what they sound like doing it on the album. You like to be able to do that. It's a simple, catchy little ditty. The lyric, your music's shite. It keeps me up all night. It's just, it's, I, I, I think I learned shite from there. So,
0: yeah, it sounds like it would be one of those hidden tracks, you know, track number ninety nine at the end of the CD, where there's this yeah, big gap. And you're yeah. like, oh, what the hell is this? Um, so, is it just us that thinks Oasis is pretentious? It's got to be. No, it's got to be just yeah. the Gallagher brother portion of it. that you know that constant infighting between the two, and. I'll, I'll be honest. It always seems to be that Liam might get most of the hate.
1: I think they kind of wear it on their sleeves with pride over here. <laughs> so that pretentiousness is kind of a, a cocky attitude. Of, so it's a shtick. We came from. It, it is. Well, it's not necessarily put on. They came from what they call council housing here in Manchester. Noel went to become a roadie. He was a roadie for in spiral carpets during the late 80s, early 90s. And he learned a lot about music during that time. And while he was out, he learned about writing songs. And he probably already had a gift at it because his songwriting is fantastic. And he came home and his brother was already trying to pursue kind of a career as a singer. It's a rags to riches story, Mm -hmm. but in a sense of a, a lot of chest Boasting, you know, oh, yeah, uh, the
0: chest beating, the peacocking. Yeah. It and, and that, make it till you make it.
1: They came from a very poor background and then became some of the biggest stars in the world of music. They did. And I think that regardless, and I think that there were a lot of people who loved them and hated them at the same time. So I think a lot of their pretentious cockiness is really just aimed at the people who hate them because. Yeah. I mean, yeah, or or sometimes
0: or sometimes it's a defense mechanism. Yeah,
1: that's exactly it. They didn't help themselves half the time though, so.
0: No. All right. All right. <laughs> no, they let's didn't. Let, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let's move on from Oasis. And and something that will become apparent by the end of the show is that 1994 had some really big albums. Soundgarden had achieved some success before in 1994, but Super Unknown was the major breakthrough album for them. They debuted at number one. All of a sudden, everyone was a Soundgarden fan with good reason. It's a great fucking record. I'm going to add My Wave. That quickly became my favorite. Matt Cameron's drumming leads the way on it. And it doesn't just carry the beat, but it plays within the melody of the song. You know, he's to me, he's kind of like my Jimmy Chamberlain. You're right. He's a great
1: drummer. I have no problem with him. And I've learned to appreciate him a lot more over the years as he's been drumming for Pearl Jam. This is a cool song. Great to have on the playlist. I know most of those radio hits because of hearing them over and over again on alternative radio over the years. My Wave was one of those songs when I put on and listened to last week, preparing for the show when I saw Year 10. And I was like, Oh yeah. Hell yeah! This song's great. Like <laughs> I actually think I like this better than those songs that were all over the radio. Oh, I do too by far. So yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. All right. So I'm going to go back to my Brit pop stuff. Cause I'm not out of that rut yet, but it's not a rut. It's a good <laughs> yes. place to be. And my third song is by the stone roses. They've been credited by some for actually starting the Brit pop movement. And to be honest, Sorry, people out there, if you're a big fan, I am not. Every one of their songs is just kind of a little samey, samey to me. Same beat, same tempo. And and that's what it sounds like to me. A singer who sounds bored, but I really like their song Love Spreads from 1994. I had intended to pitch it to a blues trio I played with because... I think it would have transposed really well into a bar band song. You know, those songs that you play that are covers that people don't realize Mm -hmm. who they're
0: by. Yep. Oh, my God. Is that an original? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you want to think so. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: But the the guitar and the framework of the song, it, it has it going in that direction. And I wasn't listening to this in 1994. I have to admit it. But since I found it, it's one of those songs that
0: constantly goes on to my playlist rotation. So I'm gonna drag us back out of the Britpop and I'm gonna move us into Ska. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones were still a few years from their breakout album, but they were out and creating their own great music uh, with that unmistakably gravelly voice, Dickie Barrett. The horns add a much needed bright spot on pictures to prove it, the song I'm adding. One of the things I appreciate about ska in general is how much is actually going on in the songs. And it's very easy to mm-hmm. forget how or not even notice what's going on if you're not watching them perform. But then when you see it and it's like, geez, is there like 20 people on stage pulling this off? Just <laughs> and some of them are just <laughs> dancing around having a good time, which is at its heart what ska does. It has a good time. Oh
1: well, they have a guy on their tour who's just known as the dancer. Yeah. Yeah, he just dances on stage. He's the hype guy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's great. It's fantastic. Good stuff. So I'm going to bring one last Britpop song, and then you don't have to really drag us out of it (laughs) anymore. I'm going to bring the song Zombie by the Cranberries. I think the Cranberries were a hugely underappreciated band. Dolores O'Riordan was a great vocalist, and the power of her voice in this song is what takes it to a different place for me. Growing up in America, Matt, you and I, we never really experienced secretarianism. Yeah. America has its own issues. But when I moved over to the UK, it blew my mind to find the divide in some areas that still really strongly exists between Catholics and Protestants. To me, when I came over, this is no different than what you see people fighting over in Iraq or these countries... You know, where we've seen other wars take place because it's based upon religion. And then here I am in, you know, a, a Western civilized country, and I'm watching people fight over this in the streets. It can get violent. And of course, Dolores was singing about the events that were going on in Northern Ireland. At the time this song was released, the British army still had a presence and random bombs were still going off across England and they were injuring and killing people. I don't think it's something that we really realize in the States, because if, if something happens that's a terrorist event in the States, it becomes a national tragedy that gets talked about for the next decade. And we do know what happens, but over here, it was a random act of violence that was going on a couple of times a year, at least. And this song was an ode to those who are still following the mindless violence and cheering for victory really without a way for either side to win. The meaning of this song took an entire new life for me when I moved to Scotland and I can now see how it related to people that were growing up in the UK.
0: Yeah. It kind of makes you appreciate growing up where we did. Yeah, it does. It does. I'm going to grind the show to a halt here, Jim. Two weeks in a row, we get to add Ween to the playlist. This could be where the show becomes a show for just you and me. Even if I don't like all things Ween, I'm always impressed, and I got nothing but respect for the talent and their willingness, or, and it's probably more desire on their part to be outside the box. Chocolate and cheese is classic ween. And I'll spare everyone mm-hmm. the real weirdness of spiral meningitis got me down. Man, oh <laughs> yeah. I can't put my finger on it Voodoo lady. Am I going to die, daddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, is that one of the songs where you don't mind the baby affectation on the uh, singing voice? No, I'm even more disturbed by it. Than that <laughs> it is very disturbing. Very disturbing. Yeah, but is. the song I'm going to add from ween is Freedom of 76.
1: Great song. Glad to have that. And if you think you brought the show to a halt with that, I think every listener out there who knows me well, swallow your drink so you don't spit it out of your (laughs) mouth. Uh, I am going to bring Fish and the song Sample in a Jar. What? 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 Yeah. I had a good friend who brought the Hoist album over to my house. And now when I remind him of it, he tries to deny it. It's but no, I never brought that album over. did you. I know Hoist because you brought it over. Don't deny it. That's a good album. It is. it's it's such a good album. And in my opinion, some of their best work. It's just a shame that they have such a rabid fan base that got jealous when more people started to actually listen to them because they had songs that were radio worthy. This albums probably will put them over the top though, and solidified that entire band base eventually. I love the sample harmonies piano and try lead. And then you throw in lyrics like I saw you dance with a lay you. <laughs> and
0: it speaks right out to those Vermont hippie kids. It certainly does. And you know, I've talked about not picking up on lyrics right away. So I remember singing this song and that line in particular, just singing gibberish. And when I finally read the lyrics, I realized I wasn't that far off. And I felt, no, it is a <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I felt <laughs> in Lemur, I, come on what the hell is that I, I was singing Leroy I think, yeah Leroy's bent, but... <laughs> it, so yeah we're breaking a streak right here of giving fish a hard time uh, again I don't like all Up hoist as a whole it is a really good record but I'm gonna add down with disease from fish off the same album it's a surprisingly catchy yeah. tune and all the fans that um don't like New fans coming on board? Well, you should be happy that this album helped Fish reach more people. Uh, you're exactly right. These fans
1: are probably the ones that help them continue to have their career and tour with the uh, massive stature that they've had. So, yeah, good song. I love Down With The Z's. I would take either of these two songs onto the playlist any day. But I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. No, don't worry. I'm not going back to Britpop. <laughs> but since you jumped in on Fish with me, I'm going to take a Ween song to the show. I might be in the minority because of the first verse. Take a piece of tinsel and put it on the tree. That to me makes Roses Are Free a Christmas song. I'm all for it. <laughs> Every year when I'm decorating the house for Christmas time. Roses are free runs through my head. I can't help it. I sing it to Linda. She rolls her eyes. We
0: move on with the day. <laughs> so, did we just make a fish sandwich with ween as the bread? Oh, we definitely wow. did.
1: And you know what? I, I think the fans of those bands would kind
0: of widely approve of that. I think so too. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to get us off of this this uh, double dose that we've been doing here, and uh, bring in Cake, one of my favorite bands from the '90s. I fell in love with Fashion Nugget, not '94. But knowing I was a fan of that album, a friend at work had their first album, which did come out in 1994, Motorcade of Generosity. I was so happy they weren't just a one album hit. Uh, Jesus Wrote a Blank Chuck, that is one of my favorite cake songs of all time. Great writing, building all the layers, but keeping the separation and not having everything fight to be heard. And the real treat is having the trumpet and the guitar pull off the call and answer during the solo. Yeah, it's a great song.
1: And it's cool to have an early cake song on
0: here because I don't think
1: enough people have heard this song. It would be nice to have on the playlist. I am going to bring a song that was actually from an album that was full of hits. Huh. The band is live. The album's throwing copper, but I'm not going to bring Lightning Crashes or I Alone or Selling the Drama. I am going to bring the song TBD. So
0: you're going to tell us later? TBD. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, making a dad joke, oh, Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a bad dad joke.
1: But I, I, I've got to tell a story. I, I think I've told this story to you, and I brought it up on a different show that I'd done, but I'm gonna tell it again because it's one of my favorites. There's a 17-year gap to complete it. I went to the live throwing copper album release party at Saratoga Winners in New York. I had a friend who'd won tickets. I spent the night rocking out on the dance floor, and there was some beautiful young woman I was dancing with the entire time. She was way above my league. I was punching above my weight, as they say here in Scotland. When the show finished, she came up to me and apologized. She (laughs) owed me no apology and said she had to leave because she'd been invited backstage. I brought a cassette tape of the Cinderblock Baby demo with me, and I slipped it to her and asked her if she could pass it along to Ed Kowalczyk. Fast forward 17 years in 2011, and I'm at a meet and greet with Ed the night he's performing in Burlington. As I'm walking up to him, I say, hey, I was at the CD release party at Saratoga Winners for the Throwing Copper album back in 1994. And he got real serious. And he looked at me and he's like, that's really cool. I met my wife that night. And so I asked him, she didn't come backstage with a demo tape to hand to you. It was snap. (laughs) The picture was taken of me standing there with Ed. I'm smiling. Ed looks stunned. (laughs) So I I may have inadvertently, you know, she was invited backstage, but I may have given the conversation breaker (laughs) to to go up and chat.
0: Am I about to get punched?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I want to be like, you stole my song. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, this album was full of hits. I'm taking the song TBD though. It's a great song that didn't get enough attention from the album because there was so much more around it. Go check it out.
0: There are a lot of albums from 1994 that suffer from fatigue for us. Some like Throwing Copper, which you just went on about. They were just so great back in the day. We couldn't help but overplay them. That was my biggest fear in coming back this year because i really killed this music a lot of it mm-hmm. and i didn't want to uh come on and have a negative opinion on it so i was trying to really put myself in the position of what this music was for me back in the day i did not get that vibe from king's x that album still <laughs> kicks ass oh the album's dog man i'm gonna add the song dog man off it it's it i love listening to all the noise that three-piece bands can make and how they just make the most of what they got. And they just and I loved Ty Tabor, his his guitar tone, it, it's very reminiscent of Brian May at times. It's got that really mid uh bite to it. And uh Doug Pinnock, his bass, it's got this dirty, really heavy tone to it that I I can't get enough of. And his voice just rocks. So yeah, Dogman by King's X. You know, I'll always approve of a band with
1: a bass player that's singing. Oh, yeah. It's you and Uh, I, I, man. (laughs) We always naturally kind of look at that and go, yeah, that's that's cool. cool." So yeah. Remember when we did our last episode, I think it was 2003. I said, if I ever had a chance to add another 311 song to the playlist, I was going to do it. (laughs) Well, here is my final entry. Re-11, and the song is 8.16 a.m. I'm sure the diehard fans, which are probably nobody out there listening to this <laughs> show, but they'd be really happy right now with this song. This album, Grassroots, didn't get much attention. I almost picked the song Homebrew off of it as well, so I have to give that a shout out. It was right before they had some success in 1996, but the album title states, This is their grassroots. This is what they sound like. The song's a little musically surprising. It has an almost jazzy feel to it with maybe a xylophone going on as well. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a xylophone or if that's essay on the decks using a sample from something, but it breaks away from a lot of their most well-known sounds. For me,
0: this is a top five song of 311. Yeah, they're not a big band with me. But I I do respect the talent because there is a there's a huge amount of talent with that in that band. Yeah. So we had some really good sunshine this week. I was outside on the deck and doing some research and G love and special sauce came on. I'm not uh, nice. I, I usually don't go to G love and special sauce, but this song just hit me the the, the sun and this song were just a perfect match. I had to go get a beer. I'm going to add the song Baby's Got Sauce. It fit the mood I was in and it was just perfect for a relaxing sunny day. Good tune. So, 1994 was the year
1: I went to Lollapalooza, the only year I ever attended. I feel lucky because I can say I've seen the Beastie Boys live. They were touring Ill Communication and songs like Sabotage and Sure Shot were all over MTV. But my favorite song from that album, I'm going to bring to the playlist, that is Root Down. They're still playing a lot of the instrumentation on this album, like they did in Check Your Head. And it just makes it feel like authentic music. I don't mind the samples of their other albums at all. But between this
0: and Check Your Head, I kind of preferred when they created the music and beats for their rhymes. I agree. And I'm going to pile on by adding a Beastie Boys song of my own. We're not done with the double nice. shots. Uh, sometimes I feel like we can get into a rut by adding songs by the same artist, but it's the Beastie Boys. It's not our fault. They make a lot of great music. I dig just like you, the sound on ill communication. It's, it's flawless. There's a rawness and an edge to it. And I'll pile on with what you said about the authenticity sound and feel of the, of it just mm-hmm. because of the, the, the sound it sounds like they didn't put a lot of care into it but at the same time it they did it's just a perfect sound i had the hardest time choosing between two songs um so hopefully when the poll comes through a certain other song will get added but i'm adding sure shot i can't get enough of the beat on this song that's awesome to have a double shot
1: I have a feeling we're gonna have another double shot here at the end, unless you bring a hoodie and the Blowfish
0: song. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that will not be happening.
1: <laughs> I, I am bringing Weezer, only in dreams. I can see Matt standing up and applauding me right now. Nothing. Oh, really, nothing but respect. Ghosting. Love
0: that song. Yeah,
1: I think the reason why we've given Weezer so much crap over the run of this show is that they never lived up to maybe the potential we thought they had from their debut album. There are so many songs I could take to the playlist, and I'm hoping the poll will get another one of these in, at at least. It, It won't be Holiday, that's fine, but it could be Say It Ain't So, or Buddy Holly, or Undone, the Sweater Song, another great song, Surf Wax America. I'm bringing Only in Dreams because I love the end of the song. I love the, the entire song, but the instruments drop out and then make this great big sonic comeback. And in my opinion, it's one of the best final tracks on an amazing album.
0: Yeah, we're going to end up in a double shot. There is no room for Hootie in the blowholes here. I don't think <laughs> we take a, I don't think we've taken advantage of the good Weezer years. So people really have, they must have this thought that we just don't like Weezer. Um, but there just came a point in their song construction where it felt more like a science project and less like heartfelt rock music to me. Mm-hmm. Um but the green and the red albums, they're they're obviously under the beneath the blue album, if I'm gonna tear them. Uh, but they're spectacular albums that I can keep coming back to. I have a feeling, yeah, Buddy Holly or Undone, they have a better than average chance of making the playlist from the poll. So I'm going to stay away from Mm -hmm. those. You added the last song, so I'm going to add the first. My name is Jonas. This is the 20th century Fox fanfare of not just the album, but of their career, (laughs) right? It's been an incredibly long, successful career, spanning a couple generations now. And Jonas is a proper hello to the world.
1: It is. It is. It's a great start to the album. It's crazy to think that after all we just talked about, there are still a bunch of albums that were also just as huge. So, like I promised at the start of the show, Matt, it's that name-checking
0: extravaganza time. Your time to shine. So start us off. Oh, boy, here we go. Yeah, it's weird how at the beginning I said we were just going to sprinkle the names into the conversation instead of having one big long slog. But we just ended up having one big <laughs> long slog anyways. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, let's get into the name dropping. So after this list, there will be questions from the audience about why we didn't choose any of these. Because these are these are some pretty huge albums we're about to list. Hooting the Blowfish, we've been joking about, but Cracked Review. It threw me for a loop when I saw it in the list of releases because chronologically, it just didn't fit. I don't really remember it being out at the same time as some of these others. But regardless, Hootie was the big thing for a hot minute. That Loser back released Mellow Gold. Uh, Loser had to be the most played
1: video on MTV that year. It was on like every 30 minutes.
0: Yep, this was another one that threw me for a loop too, but I think I figured it out. Why? Because I spent the first part of the year living in Bennington, and then I moved up to the Burlington area in the second half of the year. So I think that's where I'm getting mixed up chronologically. It was like two different, two Mm -hmm. different lives with me. Uh, but then we had Dave Matthews Band, or uh, we can call him Dave. Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. would people understand Dave (laughs) under the table and dreaming? Um, and one of the biggest ones, Green Day, Dookie. Is one where listeners will shake their heads for not having a song added to the playlist. It was huge and a major breakthrough. But personally, I killed this album for myself. But I listen to this thing nonstop some days. Uh, but I won't say no to a no. I, I'm feeling a little guilty not bringing a song when I come around. Longview,
1: Basket Case, like which one goes on the playlist? Yeah, help us, Julie Ricker. You're our
0: only hope. <laughs> Yeah, because when I think back at what this album meant to me back in the day, it does feel wrong leaving a song off it. Uh, Then we got Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spiral, which I am incredibly surprised that you, Jim, did not add a song from this. I'm a little surprised, too. I, I did go back and
1: listen to it. I've got a great double vinyl picture disc of this. I guess it's one of those things where I really needed it at an angry point in my life, but I don't need it so much now as I've gotten older, I don't need to be reminded of why I was angry and needed it once upon a time. Uh,
0: Yeah. And you're, you're not wrong. And I think that's why I started getting out of metal and nine inch nails type of music to begin with. It just didn't fit a need in my life Mm -hmm. anymore. So uh, Nirvana unplugged was the perfect Nirvana album to have in 1994 as it felt like after Kurt died, fans were mourning and celebrating the music for the rest of this year. Yeah, it still sounds amazing today. REM Monster, Stone Temple Pilots Purple, Interstate Love Song was everywhere. That was on my 10 originally.
1: I really hope it makes it in the poll. I love that song. I played that in a cover band. I've talked yep. in the past about playing songs with a band and you just love playing the bass line on. Interstate Love Song is one of those tunes for me. Uh,
0: and I will say, I almost had What's the Frequency, Kenneth, uh, on my. Yeah, it's a good song. So that is that. Is definitely a poll possibility right there. Yep. Um, And of course, the polls, they have to add something from the offspring. Yeah. Smash. <laughs> I mean, this is the year if you're going to add an offspring. So mm-hmm. uh, there's just too much competition in 1994 to pin me down to one, though. Yeah. I mean, you've heard me talk in the past that I've got a lot of respect for TLC.
1: Their Crazy Sexy Cool album came out in 94, Creep and Waterfall. That's what made them superstars. The 90s were full of great women in the alternative rock scene as well. You had the Breeders, Liz Phair, and Hole. They -hmm. were all active in this era, making albums. My nod would go to Veruca Salt for having one of the coolest band names ever. And the song (laughs) Seether rocked. But then we also had Pearl Jam's Vitology. We all waited on this. We had their 10... Then we had their second album, Come Along verses, which kind of disappointed, and we were waiting for Vitology to lift them back into the good graces of Pearl Jam and what they'd meant to us on their debut album, but it wasn't kind of meant to be. Nothing Man, Better Man, and not many better songs. Yeah. This was the album where they shed a lot of fans of their debut album, 10.
0: Yeah, and despite my overall disappointment with Vitology, it was the album that got me back into collecting vinyl. Uh, maybe they should have concentrated on the music instead of Ticketmaster. Yeah, yeah, they should have. It it, it would have helped. There was the band Portishead, critically acclaimed, award-winning, and then where did they
1: go? They disappeared. (laughs) Uh, Alice in Chains, Jar of Flies, they were consistently making good music. Uh, We had a Pink Floyd album in 1994, The Division Bell. This was the last full band album, and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't what they wanted to be remembered for, I think.
0: No, it, it was an album of almost normal songs, you know, n- not what they're legendary for. High Hopes and Take It Back. They're good songs. I wouldn't call them classic Floyd, as most of the album kind of just sounds like an updated rehash. Yeah. And then, dude, we had Rusted Root and Blues Traveler <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Send me on my way. I'm not sure how I feel about that song now. Sometimes a song needs to come on randomly, and then I'll know. I have no idea about that other band. I'd never heard of them.
1: Yeah. To me, <laughs> send me on my way. is like one of those great nostalgic film songs. Now you just put it on in a movie yeah. and you know, you are in 1994 and that's all it needs to do to serve its purpose. Some amazing hip hop in 1994. Biggie, the notorious B I G to be honest, this almost made my 10 as well. The album ready to die. The the song big Papa. I missed this when it came out, but I think it sounds great now. And I'm also always kind of chuckling to myself when I listen to Biggie from this era because you hear uh, P. Diddy, Sean Puffy Combs in the oh. background of all the songs. When, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Being Ooh-oh. the hype man. Yeah. He was the hype man. <laughs> and it's just funny to kind of hear them. A complete opposite of that in 1994, Tom Petty put out possibly his last amazing album, you know, the one that really stood out Wildflowers. The title track, Wildflowers, once again, almost in my 10. I love that song. And the song, You Wreck Me, that is classic Tom Petty.
0: Oh, after I saw you shout out this album, yeah, you wrecked me. Boy, I had some thoughts and did some bargaining over what I could drop to get that into my <laughs> list. Uh, I really like this era of Tom Petty, Full Moon Fever, Into the Great Wide Open, Wildflowers. Those are classic Tom Petty records for me. Yeah. And one last shout out to rap and hip hop. This
1: is the year of Nate Dogg and Warren G in the song Regulate. This actually has pull potential, in my opinion. It still gets airplay over here in the UK, but they mash it up with Michael McDonald singing the chorus to, I keep forgetting I'm not in (laughs) love anymore. So the original sample track is there, but then all the rhyming over the top, its like it makes it a five-minute version of the song, but I like it. It's better that way.
0: Yeah, and I bet Coolio has an outside chance too with Fantastic Voyage. Oh, definitely. Good yeah. shout, good shout. So feel free to add your own, but we, we've given you some choices. We have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll run the poll before the show, so it's more a matter of, did they do it? Did yeah. they do it? Did they do it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun to talk to everybody. Matt, I think it's my turn to wrap it up this week.
0: Wrap it up.
1: Well, I'm going to do that before I wrap it up. I think you need
0: to tell us what very special
1: episode we're going to go with next.
0: Hey, yeah, we haven't done a special in a while and we had been kicking around some ideas Um, and going with the time of year that it will come out. We are going to celebrate Canada Day because there are some great bands and singers coming out of Canada and we want to give them a little bit of the spotlight. Yeah, and we are going to be a little late for Canada Day because we're going to be too
1: busy celebrating the 4th of July first. (laughs) (laughs) But that's when this episode drops, is on the 4th of July. Do you know that? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
0: so nobody will listen right away. (laughs) No. So we know everybody will tune in on the Fourth of July just to listen to that and their exciting new episode. (laughs) Exactly, that's that's going to be right on the tip of their tongue. Barbecue, beer, and the jam yearbook. Yes, of course.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's been fantastic to talk to you about 1994 today, and I do think, even though you think it was a better year for me, you
0: still managed to pull a lot of music out of 1994 that you were pretty pleased with. Oh. Yeah, definitely, which I just had to put myself back in that mindset and rid my mind of the level of fatigue as yeah. much as I could.
1: I'll go easy with you on Canada Day because I think I'll just uh, be pulling five songs out of Canadian music. I can't otherwise it'll just be like Brian Adams' greatest
0: hits, and that'll be the yeah. end of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you do Brian Adams. I'll do Tragically. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> and a rush song from each of us as well. At the end yeah.
1: Oh, okay. We'll each get six then. Yeah. All right. I know you want to bring Shania <laughs> Twain, so. Oh, burn, <laughs> burn! Hey, everybody! Thank you for listening to the Jam Yearbook. It's been fantastic going through 1994 with you. We look forward to talking to you next week when we talk about all good things of music that came down from the Great White North.
0: Matt, say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody! We'll see you next time. Peace, love, and podcast